we're gonna get to it so julia christian i think (laughs) we have a time-honored tradition to carry out here uh rock paper scissors yep okay um, I don't know why we do rock, paper, scissors. Because absolutely no one can see what we're doing. No, it's also just I've never won. <laughs> I think you did one time, actually. One out of how many bonus episodes? I don't know. At one point, we just got so excited and started volunteering. Yeah. But let, no, this is tradition. This is tradition to embarrass me personally, which maybe I deserve. All right. Julia? Mm-hmm. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, oh. a tie. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Damn it, I still lost. Uh, the play-by-play for people playing along at home. Um, first round, scissors, scissors. Second round, paper, rock. So Christian will go first. I will. On the recap. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's uh, it's just a see-what-you-can-do mm-hmm. moment, as yep. it always is. Um, the expectations here are not different than normal episodes. No, uh, and they just- shouldn't be. <laughs> and I know what the expectations are. But mm-hmm. hey, if they're that low, I can only impress people. <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of how I feel, you know, about going through life in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried, therefore no one can criticize me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel Radcliffe, for that incredible bit of advice. Yep. Okay. Are you ready to start recapping? No? Okay. No. So we're going to count down. Okay. In three, two, one, go. So there's a wrestling match at Madison Square Garden, and then this guy's in the crowd, then he leaves to go to the parking garage, and then he gets in a sword fight with some guy, and then cuts his head off, and then there's some magical lightning, and then the police stop him, and they're like, oh, did you cut this guy's head off? And he's like, no, but they don't arrest him, so he can just leave. And then there's like an investigator lady who's like trying to investigate the sword that was used to cut this guy's head off. Anyway, we have all these flashbacks to Scotland, and we find out that this guy is actually like 500 years old, and his name is Connor McLeod, and he's of the clan McLeod, and then he's on the battlefield, and he can't die because he's immortal, and then he gets banished from his village, and then he finds some lady, and they shack up and then some dude who's in like a what is it called when you're a bullfighter a matador costume shows up and is like i've been in spain but i'm also immortal and gives him sword fighting lessons meanwhile in the present the investigator lady is like uh this sword these sword fragments are like a bajillion years old and she like starts stalking um he goes by russell but whatever she starts stalking him and then they get tracked down by this scary man uh, called the Kurgan, who's another immortal who's trying to kill uh, uh, McLeod. And then they kind of have like a romance and then it goes back to all of these flashbacks of the Kurgan being evil. And then he kills the, the uh, Ramirez, the guy in the Matador costume. And then um, it flashes forward. Oh, and then briefly there's a scene in World War II where Russell slash McLeod adopts a daughter named Rachel by just finding an orphan on the ground and picking her up. And then we go back and then he's like finding out that it's time for the gathering where all of the immortals in the world come together and they have to fight to the death and they have to cut each other's heads off and there can only be one and there's like a prize at the end and it's like this great gift or whatever. And then the Kurgan kills another guy who seems to be friends with McLeod and then he goes on a date with what's her name and it turns out she's kind of spying on him but then he reveals the truth to her that he's immortal and then they have sex and then um, she gets kidnapped by the Kurgan at her apartment and then... um, uh, McLeod comes and hunts them down and then they have this epic sword fight in some water and in a leaky pipe factory and then he cuts his head off and then he receives the gift or the prize or whatever it is and that is that he is an all-knowing being but also now he can die a minute and 56 seconds okay which I actually feel like is really good yeah um one for <laughs> how long and rambly this movie is uh-huh. and two just in general in uh the history of the timed recap of our bonus episodes. I'll tell you what. I also cannot believe I remembered that much of the plot. It is very impressive. And now me, I've seen this movie three times and I'm probably going to not do as well. Well, hey, we'll see on your mark. Get set. Go. Okay. So Connor McLeod uh, is in Madison Square Garden and he fights a guy in a parking garage with his sword and chops his head off and um, gets stopped by the police who are very suspicious of him because there's been another beheading. So something's clearly going on. Um, but he gets to go back to his little antique dealing shop uh, anyway because they don't have any evidence to arrest him. Meanwhile, uh, we find out through flashbacks to Scotland in the um, 1500s that he was originally Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod uh, and he died in battle except that he came back to life and they were like, you have the devil in you. So they banish him. Um, 
he mans- manages to find a wife anyway and then gets tutored by none other than Sean Connery um, who teaches him that he's an immortal and he can't die and that he will someday have to fight and kill uh, all of the other immortals to win the prize nobody is sure exactly what it is um, but then Ramirez is killed and so he uh, just goes on his lonely life alone after his wife dies also back in New York um, the there's an investigator lady who's like wow this sword is really really old and that's fascinating um, so she tries to kind of like follow him and figure out what's going on but she also works for the police department so it's kind of like a conflict of interest she realizes that he has been um, faking his death over and over again and is like this is really suspicious so he comes clean to her um, the Kurgan has arrived in New York City um, and kills the last remaining immortal besides Connor um, and then they have their little tete-a-tete in the uh, church Connor and Brenda that's her name Brenda um, did like get together and then he decides to leave his uh secretary friend orphan daughter Rachel um, because he needs to just go off and live his life and she needs to live her life and there's a big great battle at the end and Connor wins by chopping the Kurgan's head off and he gets to go take Brenda to Scotland because he is now mortal but he also wants to save the world because he can hear everyone's thoughts 143.21 that was impressive thank you you're welcome I you've also seen this movie more than I I and I, still, I have no idea if I got it all. I think I locked, like knocked one of these out in like 90 seconds, like at the beginning. And I just have never been able to, you know, top that sense. Well, you know, we've, I think we've got done a great job of cutting down on the editorializing, which is fun, but unhelpful. Well, it's because um, the rest of the podcast <laughs> is for the editorializing. It's so. true. It's true. Um, but then, you know, you're trying to get the detail for the people who, um, this is fun for no, it's not fun for us to recap it, but if you haven't seen the movie uh, and you're listening to the episode, I recommend reading the Wikipedia page and then yeah. hitting play again mm-hmm. and not listening to us. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I think what we I, we decided that a hundred episodes of Teen Wolf ago, and uh, we have follow through, and none of our other podcasts will do the <laughs> recap that way. <laughs> oh, a bold statement. No, I'm. <laughs> it's not a statement. It's a declaration. Alrighty. I'm sure you agree. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, we always start talking about movies. Julia, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. <laughs> what works about Highlander? Um, one of the best things about this movie, and also one of my just like favorite fun facts about this movie, um, is that Queen did a lot of the soundtrack, which is one of the things I, I really enjoy hearing. Um they were originally intending to only make one song for this movie. And then they saw uh, an unedited like version of it. And they were like, this movie fucks and we need to write more songs for it. And eventually that all ended up on their album, a kind of magic. And it's really, really great. Um, And it just adds such a, like a a personality you wouldn't expect for this movie. Um, And it's one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when you have an artist be, like, the main sort of theme. Mm -hmm. So, like, good examples is, like, Daft Punk did all the music for Tron. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever saw that, but the whole thing is scored by Daft Punk. So it's phenomenal. And then also, like, you have the cultural reference of the music coming through. And I think that that, you're right, is a really good part of this movie. It very clearly sets it. It sets it in its time and its place. And it's also Queen, so it's what? It's, it going to be, be bad? No. You know, it's funny. You were talking about um, artists who, like, score particular movies. And my immediate uh, reaction was Jack Johnson in the Curious George movie. Oh, my God. I could listen so- to the Curious George soundtrack. Like, Eddie, I listen to Upside Down, and I'm like, this is this song has happy injected into its veins. It's great. Yeah, Pharrell yeah. could only dream. Yeah, legit. <laughs> like- or we just watched you just saw goodwill hunting for the first time i sure did and like that movie is scored by danny elfman but like one of the main like artists of like musical artists you hear in it is elliot smith and mm-hmm. like that is another thing where you're like oh yes time and place i feel it very strongly here and i yes. think like you said queen is a huge part of that i love knowing that they were only <laughs> writing one and they were like hold on <laughs> actually i actually think that's what partially the sufian stevens thing of uh call me by your name really yeah he wrote more. I think further. he. I think he was really only supposed to write um, "Mystery of Love," and then he also let them use feudal devices and then "Visions of Gideon." He also wrote for the movie. Interesting. You yeah. know, you never know where inspiration is going to strike or come from. That's true, and also like, 
Russell Mulcahy is a music video director, mm-hmm. right? So if you saw this, you'd be like, yeah, this guy knows what music is supposed to look like in in film format. Mm-hmm. And so if I were Queen, I'd be like, yeah, I want to see my music to this vision. Yeah. Um, it is it is absolutely crazy because they were not the first choice. Who was the first choice? I don't even remember, but they were, I think, like third or fourth on the list, which is bananas i mean you are above all a queen stan first and foremost i know like yeah i feel like you've talked about it on we the all know before. um so that is interesting um i would be fascinated to know who the other choices were i'd have to look it up but um i think it, it really works and um you know there's like your typical uh 80s synth going on as yeah, well me like you yeah um big fan so the soundtrack is just like a plus I for mean, me. All of like the Scottish stuff is like stuff like when they're in the Highlands is like just generic. Like this is old timey mm-hmm. <laughs> historic music, you know, with the bagpipes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of bagpipes. Um, so it's interesting. It's kind of interesting. The dichotomy of like, you know, mm-hmm. time and place that it's not just instrumental on both ends or that like the instrumental part of the 80s side is very of the era. Yes, I agree. What else works? Um, I love uh, Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery is was my favorite part of the movie. Um, first of all, try to get him to speak in an accent that is not his own. Never going to happen. No, I don't want that either. So. Um, he's a delight. And I think that in a movie where you have a, like a lot of brooding, dark characters, it's fun to have somebody who is just like uh, very assured of themselves and um getting to play that like wise mentor role I think suits him really well I agree I think it's I I think he's almost a little bit out of place in this movie and his flamboyantness but in a way that is so welcome because Mm -hmm. everything is so edgelord Mm -hmm. and so I love the relationship he develops with Connor I love playing Ramirez for anybody who's not seen this movie. (laughs) So um, I love the relationship he develops with Connor. I love the relationship he even has with Heather, Mm -hmm. um, Connor's wife in the 1500s. And yeah, I mean, like the mentor role is really interesting, especially because I think so many other stories would sort of pitch this as like, some guy got good at this on his own, Mm -hmm. like through whatever, like wit and grit and like hunkering down but like he really does need the push he needs to be pushed overboard in a boat to find out that he can breathe underwater which doesn't make any sense to me but like I appreciate the push yeah um I I also really appreciate their relationship um there's a moment when they're doing their training montage and he uh Connor finally gets the best of Ramirez and gets to knock him out and brings you know his sword to his neck because the whole thing is you know you have to kill an immortal by decapitating them and um, I, I think it's pretty clear that like, he's not going to go through with it, but there is that moment. And the first time that, uh, Connor asks Ramirez, like, well, if it came down to it, would you kill me? Um, and he doesn't have an answer for him. It's like this very complicated, uh, relationship because if you're an immortal, really the only other people that you can love are immortals. Um, and then eventually, you know, only there could be only one. I mean, I love a good uh, story where, like, you <laughs> you can only love, like, where someone is going to die by the hands of somebody, you know, they love. And obviously that doesn't happen in this situation, but I like the idea of threat. Mm-hmm. Um, what else works? I really like the costuming in this movie. Um, the stuff that happens in the flashbacks is largely uninteresting besides Sean Connery's costume. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really like the interpretation of uh, the Kurgan's battle uniform in like punk eighties, New York Mm -hmm. style. Um, He has a huge scar on his neck from uh, Ramirez trying to kill him previously. And he like does it up with safety pins, which is disgusting, but it feels very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has like a little bit of a chainmail sleeve. I love all of the outfits that Brenda is wearing. Yeah. I mean, Brenda sort of just dressed as like fashionable New York woman of the eighties. So it's like kind of, I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is bad. It's like all, you know, mm-hmm. barely just, it's supposed to look. It, it's nice. stuff I like to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I feel like a lot of the costuming was sort of more suggestions of anything. Like, like all of the stuff in Scotland, I was like, this looks like the spirit Halloween <laughs> version of like Braveheart or whatever. Um, but I, I do like the variation on all the costumes. It was really cool to see like, I, I think I called it a matador uniform, mm-hmm. but like to see this sort of suggestion of like a Spaniard, like, you know, coming to Scotland where everybody's mm-hmm. in kilts and stuff. And then to see the Kurgan and his battle uniform and then how that mo- is modernized is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I liked the Kurgan's whole, like, one-sleeved type of Winter Soldier look. <laughs> um, and I did like the safety pins, because obviously safety pins are such a big part of, like, the punk aesthetic, and to mm-hmm. just put it through your neck is, like... Metal. Yeah, pretty yikes. I a little bit wish we saw, like, Connor in something other than just, like, the tennis shoes and the jeans and the trench coat. Mm-hmm. I agree. It is a very interesting choice. Um because it's not particularly flattering. Um, well, I get he's hiding the sword in the trench coat most yes. of the time. But, like, I... At one point, he, like... He, Brenda, like, asked to take his, his jacket. And he says, no, I'll keep it. And then he just walks into another room and takes it off. And I was like, oh, I thought the sword was in there. And it's like, there was no reason for him no. to refuse that. Uh, I couldn't tell you what... Yeah, because there is no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, there... I think part of that is that like Connor is trying to blend in because he's not Connor. He's, you know, Russell. He's like the fifth owner of that building. Pretend how has no one noticed? I know. Um, so it, it's like, he's trying to blend in, I guess. Um, he doesn't automatically look out of place cause he's had a lot of practice living in society. And it's kind of implied that like the Kurgan doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that he's kind of boring. Um, I just wish he wasn't, uh, costuming wise. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, what else works? Um, I love the concept of this film. We can delve into whether or not the execution of it works. Um, yes. I think that conceptually (laughs) this film could be great. Mm -hmm. Um, I compared it earlier to you to the covenant, a movie I have not seen, which is maybe worse but i like you know i don't know how that happens in my brain i love garbage that's why i was kind of bummed i didn't like this garbage um you know one man's garbage is another man's garbage you don't you don't <laughs> yeah, know that's true um but it's like another thing where i'm like conceptually this could be awesome the execution is absolutely mm. horrifically bad yeah um the idea that there's this like group of immortals, you have no idea where they come from or, you know, how they know that they're immortal or how they talk to each other or whatever, except that there's some sort of like supernatural force that draws them all together. Um, and they are all fighting for a prize. And I think it's kind of interesting that the prize is never defined. Like the Kurgan doesn't know what it is. Um, and neither does Ramirez. And ultimately, the prize after being immortal is to be human, which I think is great. Be human, but hear the world's thoughts. Yes. So he has like immense power, but it's like, are you going to choose to do something with that? Or do you, are you just going to live your human life? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm less interested in the like advent of the immortals or the prize, but I do mm-hmm. like the idea that there can only be one immortal. Like. Mm-hmm. In any circumstance, I think when there's like a there's an can only be one situation, the stakes are so high that it's kind of interesting inherent. Um, but yeah, I wish we knew more. Like the reason why I'm uninterested in the in like the creation of the immortals is because they don't tell us anything mm-hmm. about them. Sean Connery spills been some bullshit. That's like, why is the sun in the sky? That's why there's immortals. And I'm like, okay, I could actually <laughs> no, hold on, go go back. I could use slightly more detail and like. 50% less sword fighting lessons. Mm. You know, they were trying to give the people what they want, but perhaps did not understand what the people wanted. I like, well, I think generally people want like coherent storytelling. Ober. That, that's a, that's a crazy statement to make. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, I think, yeah, I think the style, I mean, I think the concept is interesting and I think the style is like, I like eighties fantasy. I like love eighties mm-hmm. like sci-fi and stuff. 
And it's cool to see like these really early things where I can like sort of pinpoint them to like teen wolfisms, like sparks in the water and Mm -hmm. like, you know, sort of, it's so much, it's it's interesting to think how refined his style has gotten with teen wolf because in this, there's like a bunch of crane shots and a bunch of like really sort of risky plays with the cinematography, but still stuff that I can kind of recognize. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there is this, I would be interested, well, I'd be embarrassed if this episode wasn't directed by Russell Mulcahy, but there's this scene where the Kurgan puts somebody up on a sword, mm-hmm. and he's, like, just holding him impaled in the air, and it felt reminiscent of the scene where they drop Boyd on, I think, Derek's claws? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do that, like, more than once in Teen Wolf They do as it well. several times, but that was mm-hmm. the time that I was, that came to mind first. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, yeah, I think there's a couple times where people, like, do actually get, like, piked in yeah. Teen Wolf. And that looked like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I recognize that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing, like, what you hold on to uh, stylistically. Mm-hmm. But if you keep working on, like, really similar projects, um, not that, like, Teen Wolf is similar to Highlander, but it's, like, fantastical. I don't know. I think Peter would say that there can only be one. <laughs> there, Yeah, there can only be one. Yeah. Um. Is there anything that you felt really worked about the movie or would you like to transition to what doesn't work? About I would the like movie? to talk about what doesn't work. Well, Alrighty. I agreed with you on all the stuff that worked. Yeah. No, I just, if you had any more, no, I'd like I do to not hear it. Cool. Nope. <laughs> Excellent. Um, where shall we start? Um, well, okay. This movie doesn't make any sense. Uh, no, it is absolutely so disjointed. We are not given any of the details that we should be given. And the, <laughs> like, the like actual plot structure is so wackadoodle that's like impossible to follow. We spend so much time in Scotland for like no reason. You, you mentioned this um, before we sat down to talk about it is that um, what happened in the editing room? Like I, I feel like there was a way to kind of get around some of the more egregious parts of that um, because it could have just been cut. There is absolutely no freaking reason why this movie should be two hours long. Like, there are full scenes where I was like, that needed, and uh, ha 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 ha, me, like, (laughs) completely gawking at the 30-second Teen Wolf scene, but there were so many scenes where I was like, no, it stopped being effective because it's gone on so long. So I think, like, the scene where the Kurgan has Brenda in, like, the passenger seat and is playing chicken. Yeah. Not only is it too long, it's like, there's a cop on every corner of New York City, and we didn't see sirens. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is... Mm -hmm absurd i will say that like part of what i think allows people to like this movie is that if you are watching it as this like incredibly absurd um romp then it's doing its job but if you want a little bit more out of it um it really doesn't live up to expectation no i'm generally somebody who suggests that everyone demand Mm-hmm. demand more out of even things that like are meant to just be entertainment movies mm-hmm. you know yeah because there's a difference between things like pacific rim which is like incredibly high concept and great execution it's a guillermo del toro movie and then like insert superhero movie of like the year like 10 years ago yeah i i think that you should be entertained and also greeted with good art i don't i don't disagree um, but yeah, like the pacing is whack. The like placement of the flashbacks never really clicks. And I think that does a huge amount to disrupt the way that relationships are formed in this movie. Mm-hmm. So like, it's great to watch this relationship happen with Ramirez. But honestly, if that's the biggest like and most important relationship that gets developed, because we really don't see anything between Connor and Brenda other than them, like going on a fake date and then kind of going on a real date and then him killing the Kurgan and the taking her to Scotland like that's it that should be a separate movie like the mm-hmm. Scotland stuff should be a separate movie interesting um it didn't do enough to like help me understand what was happening in the present day it, it in fact it actually separates the first part of the movie and the second part of the movie very distinctly mm-hmm. I in general I often really like the use of flashbacks um Part of what I think really took me out of it a lot of the time is the transition effects that were used um, because it really just seemed like uh, every single transition effect that they could possibly use. They were like, it would be cool to do it now all at once together. 
Yeah. There's a lot of, there's so many moments in this movie where I'm like, there's actually too much happening on screen for me to even really want to care about like what I'm supposed to be looking at. It's this focus is so incredibly split. Um, yeah, I agree. It's also kind of like fuzzy in certain parts. Well, it's not even just that. It's just like there are parts of the movie that are demanding to impress me. Mm -hmm. Like I honestly think the wrestling scene at the beginning is so pointless. It doesn't really do anything for the movie. Well, I did say that to you when we started watching is this the opening. I've never seen an opening of a movie that's made less sense to me. Yeah. And like, I don't know, maybe because somebody can come out and be like, well, actually, no, I actually don't even want to hear you. Well, actually, I would be far more interested if these like people met like it would be actually like literally it could just be like somebody sitting in a bar coming up and tapping him on the shoulder and being like, it's time. And then they go and have a sword fight it would be more interesting and like less bombastic to me mm-hmm. but there's all of these like huge sweeping crane shots over the audience there's like a lot of like rig shots to like go in the circle and like follow people and, like some you know mm-hmm. tracking shots and i'm just kind of like you wasted that on a scene that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie yeah and for what for what yeah the cinematography it's funny i was reading some reviews before we sat down to do this and somebody mm-hmm. was like the cinematography is exquisite and i was like i could not tell you what I was supposed to be looking at maybe ever. Which is so interesting because some of the design I actually feel is really interesting. I really like Connor's apartment. Oh, I love it. Um, I really like Brenda's apartment as well. The scene when the Kurgan is like chasing her through her apartment, the, a, a bunch of her rooms are like lit in red, which looks really cool, but it doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, there's this scene where like Brenda is going through his like history room of like all of the stuff he's collected over the years. And she's like, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. This must cost millions. But the camera is circling her from overhead. So I can't see anything on the shelves. I have no idea what any of that stuff could be suggesting to her. And clearly set deck did a really good job of filling it with things that I should find interesting. Mm -hmm. But like, the camera work and the directing are being like, yeah, it's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. And it's like, it is a big deal. I want to see, I want to understand her reaction better, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think I've actually like said this quote before about Claire Denis, whose thing about like when she's directing, she wants to be able to reach through the camera and touch what she's looking at. Mm-hmm. And I want to touch it. I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to touch anything in this movie. It's not tactile at no. all. And then again, like the split focus, like the scene where she's like hanging from the neon sign and the water is pouring and the like the rafters keep falling and there's like all of the light sparks. I was like, I can't even look at, I can't even watch the sword fighting. I can't, mm-hmm. It's too busy. It's very busy. I, I did really like the way it looked, but it's too much all of the time. Everything happens so much in this movie. Yeah. And not in the fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, the dialogue is so bad. Um, you know, when I was looking at this, there are three people who are credited on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And you really, ha- I have no way of knowing who else might have looked at it kind of anonymously. And that seems like a too many cooks situation. Well, no, I mean, you can credit up to four people on a screenplay. Like, more often than well, not, yeah, there's, but- there's extra. More often than not, it's never just one person. But I would be interested to know how many rewrites something got. That That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 So... Well, part of that might also be the fact that Christopher Lambert, um, and I just learned this right now, 20 minutes ago, didn't know English before shooting this movie. Okay. So that sounds (laughs) fake. I don't, I mean, he, I guess had worked on another film where he didn't have to speak very much, but it was like an American production. Uh So they, I guess just like were fooled, um, by his very little speaking of English. I don't, I do not know. Okay. Um, he's a weak point for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like acting universally. I, part of that is like the genre style is like, it's not really lending itself to realism, but very Mm -hmm. little of it felt any kind of grounded, even from like the sort of smaller, like co-star roles. Like there's this scene at the beginning where Connor is being brought in by the police and they all have like guns in it in their in his face. And like one of them is like kicking his legs apart to like make him, like lean on the like the police cruiser or whatever and everything about the dialogue felt like somebody was reading as fast they as fast as they could off of a page Mm -hmm. 
nothing about it was like nothing about that scene the way it was directed the way it was shot the way it is written could lend itself to any kind of realism that would ground it in like an actual like police situation i agree (laughs) it was like really frustrating (laughs) there's so much stuff that is so unnatural that i was like i think the key to doing fantasy especially like an urban fantasy thing where you're in like a city that everybody has a you know at least a hollywood vision of Mm -hmm. is that you have to include some like a little like magical realism is still realism like still Mm -hmm. has elements of realism and like it was totally missing any of that yeah and i mean it's hard to say that that is like a fault of the movie being like dated or anything like that because you know good genre films have been made for a long time um and like if 80s fantasy is like a very like specific genre and there's really mm -hmm. good examples of it yeah so it's hard it's hard to go up uh against a lot of those examples so yeah and i don't know if this movie has some things working against it yeah we say yeah but the like and i think part part of the thing about like the the screenplay is like we have these relationships that do seem sort of normal or interesting in scotland and then nowhere else does Mm -hmm. it get i'm like you, we don't even know how like Heather and Connor meet and I'm somehow so much more convinced of their relationship than I am of anything else that happens. Like we don't actually see anything form between Brenda and Connor. Well, I think part of that has to do with the fact that like there's, you know, very strong suggestion and evidence that like time has passed. And so it's easier to like fill in the gaps of like, oh, well, it's been five years and we know that. So Connor and Heather must have been together for a while, and that makes sense to us. But everything that happens in New York happens in, like, two days. Which, again, doesn't suggest to me that they should be... Like, I don't really want them going to Scotland together at the Mm -hmm. end, because I'm like, this is severely unearned it feels a little hallmark hallmark it feels hallmarky and it also feels like his prize was actually just this girl for killing the kurgan i I see what you're saying yeah Um, i was just kind of like i mean and part of the thing that i don't like about this movie is like it is so dated in a way that it's kind of hard to get over some of the really offensive shit. Yeah. Like, it has a very weird preoccupation with sex workers in a really gross way. And I didn't even, wasn't even able to really watch with my 80s goggles on because I've seen a bunch of 80s movies and a lot of stuff. You're like, you know how 16 Candles is just like really fucking racist? Yeah. But people are still like, oh yeah, 16 mm-hmm. Candles. And it's like, no, like this was just something where I was like, yeah, I don't really want to entertain that my this with my like this was made, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Mentality. It's There's hard. like a really racist joke about Vietnamese people. Um, Well, you were reading in the reviews that like things had been cut out for American audiences. And I don't remember that joke from having watched it before. I don't remember some of the things that I found particularly egregious this time. So like what's being cut for television like what are people actually seeing because this is a, a film that has a cult following mm-hmm. and like you know what's the version that people are actually seeing well i'm assuming if anybody who follows it in a no. cult style has seen the, the whole thing the whole thing yeah but yeah i mean like there's this like scene of like connor like it's supposed to be this big joke that he you know challenges somebody to a duel while he's drunk in like 1776 or whatever and it's like i it is terrible it's like so homophobic yeah like, the guy he's dueling has, like, this sort of LeFou-type assistant who, like, mm-hmm. keeps kissing him. And I was like, this is... Yeah, I don't want to... It's very pointless, especially because there's no effort shown uh, to show Connor, like, any other point in his life except for the flashback with Rachel. So, like, we don't really need it, and it's offensive. Yeah. Yeah. The thing... Rachel is like, wow, what a weak point. And it has nothing to do with Rachel. It has to do with the way she's, like, treated. And apparently, like, they tried to cut out, like, the scene where connor finds her during like the blitz i guess i suppose she's in like a bombed up building and she's all alone and she's like why aren't you dead very cute little Mm -hmm. kid but he just picks her up and is like this is my daughter you're mine now yeah and then she's just basically this like woman who runs his estate because she's aged and he doesn't age and they have this really weird relationship where she like sort of is like kind of in love with him but it's clear that he like raised her as a dad but we don't know anything else about her past other than he, like, stole her mm-hmm. from, like, a burning building. Yeah. 
I mean, it honestly, it just seems that the movie is very um, interested in itself as a concept, as opposed to the characters. And like, I do think that Connor could be interesting. Um, it's just that we're not given enough to flesh him out. Not really, at all. Despite being given like, I don't know, 500 years. And it's like, especially because Connor is like the lens through which we see everything else. If he's not actually having meaningful relationships with other people, not only does that diminish his character, it basically makes everybody just sort of like props. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, frustrating. Everyone is just severely underdeveloped. Um what else was I gonna say? Uh it's <laughs> I keep going back to like how poorly paced everything is mm-hmm. with these like exceedingly long scenes of basically just aesthetic nonsense. And like I think that chicken scene is interesting in concept. I actually liked it for the first uh like mm, thirty seconds, mm-hmm. but the fact that it just keeps going and going and going, and some of the sword fighting and like, like there's about eight different montages of sword fighting like back in Scotland, and I was like, I don't even really feel like we are given enough as an audience to understand the trajectory, like how much better he's getting over this time because they're all like shot on like. You know, mm-hmm. they're all like wide shots and we're not really not seeing like great improvement, you know, and there's great training montages in especially movies from this time mm-hmm. where we actually do see like marked improvement, Rocky being the most <laughs> famous and to not actually even see that. I was like, what was the point of me watching all of that? Mm-hmm. It didn't land. And then there's like, that's like not even, those are not, not even the only examples I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, why did this get go on for so long? You're wasting my time and your like the movie's time. I want to like there that could be used to be doing other more intelligent things. I agree. Um, it's hard to say uh, where the blame falls for that. Um, I, yeah, it could totally be an editing thing. But honestly, there were a lot of scenes where I was like, was that the only take they got of that? It was so rushed. Why would they use that take? It was so weird. Like I do think that for most of the Sean Connery stuff, that's probably the case because he was there for like a week. Okay. Um, but other than that, I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, I don't know. I would have to do do like you know a little bit of research, which we don't do on this podcast to know how long this it actually took to, to film this movie. But I could not believe it. It just felt like they had so little to work with, and that's how you end up with five minute scenes of driving. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a 90 minute version of this movie that is far more enjoyable. Yeah, um, or far more commercial. I too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else that doesn't work? Um, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of it. Yeah, I just, yeah. I thought it. I just kind of thought it was sort of unkind to everybody, specifically women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I do. I do wish I liked it more, but I it didn't. It didn't it didn't sit with me really. Um, let's talk about its cultural legacy. So like you said, and I'm I I know that you've done a little bit more digging into this into this than me. It has a cult following. Uh, a cult following and a whole ass franchise. I'm about to blow your mind. Do you have any idea how many movies there are in this franchise? 4, 6. What the fuck? There are 6 movies. Not only are there 6 movies, there are two television series. And an animated series. And a collection of novels. I didn't even count how many there were. Okay. 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 The way this could have just been a one-off that got remade, like, three years ago into, like, an, you know, some sort of, like, Blade Runner situation where everybody's like, this is great. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, an Edgar Wright movie, basically. It, but it clearly, that was not, it was not in the cards. Well, um... The sequel to Highlander, Highlander 2 The Quickening, is pretty famous for being one of, if not the worst movie ever made. And I think, I don't know if people are including The Room in that conversation. Um, Roger Ebert gave it half a star. It is apparently horrific. And then there were four movies after that, which I don't understand. How do those get greenlit? Like, obviously, they're probably all, like, straight to video. Mm -hmm. But, like... I mean, I couldn't, I could not even begin to tell you, but I, I think a lot of that goes back to how compelling people find the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that Christopher Lambert and I believe Sean Connery returned for that B 
because people are like, these are the two characters we like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just so terrible. Um, but, you know, often terrible things are the things that gain cult followings. And so that's why it's persisted. Um, there was an announcement recently that they are reviving the franchise. And I don't know what that means. Um, but Henry Cavill's going to be in it. If it ever happens, that sounds like something that's going to live in development hell for quite some time. Oh, that totally sounds like Netflix like bought the rights. It'll come out in five years and it'll mm-hmm. watch it. They'll bury it in the algorithm. Yeah. But it, I mean, it has had a lasting effect on a part of culture that a lot of people probably don't participate in, but it is, um, it, it was everywhere for a time. Um, and there's so much of it, which mm-hmm. is just crazy. And then obviously like the sort of most pertinent to our interest is that it was Russell Mulcahy's first big thing. And mm-hmm. then he went on to do like a bunch of other, you know, sci-fi, other fantasy things to ultimately be longtime director, executive producer of good old Teen Wolf. I wonder if he's going to direct love. the movie. You know what? I think that since he and Tim Andrew shared the directing credit on the finale, they should get to do that together for the movie. We should actually watch them fight with broadswords because there can be, <laughs> there can only, be only one. <laughs> there can be only one director of the Dean Wolf movie. Oh, God. I wish... Th- I, I understand why they fought with broadswords, but the whole time mm-hmm. I was like, God, I wish they were fighting with, like, rapiers because it's so much faster mm-hmm. and makes, like, swordplay so much more interesting, which is why you watch things like the princess bride you're like this is insane Mm -hmm. because you can just move a rapier so much faster yes my favorite fighting style is rapier dagger so you have like a rapier and then like a knife and you're like haha and you can fight really quickly with two weapons haha yes i i mean i love the idea i love the look of a broadsword but it's clunky i think that is a word i would use to describe a lot of this movie it is clunky yeah it's clunky chunky Mm -hmm. slow mess yeah bad anyway let's do a little bit of where are they now uh sean connery is sean connery um yes he did pass away last year oh my god i know don't oh you my forget god, about that i totally forgot that is insane i remember i feel like i remember that day yeah um he lived a very long life very um, prolific career listen if anybody if anybody listening to this doesn't know who sean connery is i don't really know how to help you except to tell you that you should watch some james bond films um but, you know, he's the guy. Yeah. He's the guy. Yeah. Anytime he comes up in a movie, I'm like, aha. I'm, you know, infinitely more pleased right now than I was two seconds ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right before we started recording this, I was texting my family about having seen this movie for the first time. And my brother, who, like, loves 80s fantasy, it's, like, his genre. Like, he can tell you any movie from the time. Or any any 80s movie, really. He's, like, a big 80s person. Uh, he said that um, Christopher Lambert is, quote, the worst successful actor in Hollywood. Um, I don't feel totally qualified to comment on I that. I don't either. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's some people who are sort of like made it big and then were known to be bad. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, Hayden Christensen, but like you're <laughs> the most. Oh, but he's so handsome. He's, yeah, no, Totally. But, like, he's the most, you know, I think common example people use of that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that's just the case. Possibly. Um, and then Clancy um, Brown. <laughs> Clancy Brown, man, is working. Yeah. That guy works. Good for him. Um, Most notably, I think to most people, he voices Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. I noticed that when he was laughing. <laughs> yeah, I actually. Because Mr. Krabs is such a distinct laugh. <laughs> Um, yeah, the first time I watched this movie, I, I didn't know that. And I was like, this guy sounds so freaking familiar. Like, what is it? And I could not believe that that was the answer because he's been in a, a lot of other stuff in like supporting roles that you wouldn't necessarily think of him for. But like, I, I go to bed at night and I hear Mr. Krabs just like, <laughs> you know, it's part of the pop culture Which reel is so in my brain. funny because you didn't watch Spongebob growing up. No, and I don't care for it. That so. is terrible. I make such good Spongebob references 24-7 and you don't get any of them and it's a, so sad to me. 90% of that is just because I haven't seen it. It is so funny. I love Spongebob. I, I, I wish I could say I get it. 
but I no, you do have to be like a kid who I had a roommate in college who had the first three seasons of SpongeBob on DVD and she'd watch them like all the time. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't know. You latch on to certain. I've seen the first like 10, 10 seasons of The Simpsons at least twice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. That's true. Um, okay, now. We have to give this movie a rating. Mm-hmm. Should I go first? So Why you, don't you go first? I give this movie a D. Oh. I feel like we are largely rel- very complimentary of most of the movies we review. Yeah. Um, particularly with our ratings. So that is a, a departure. Maybe like a C minus. Mm-hmm. Maybe a C minus. I'm not trying to bully you into changing No, I, your, I just, I know that I will never, ever watch this again. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Julia, what do you give this movie? I give it a B, um, maybe a B minus. And I know that there are a lot of things that uh, are legitimate complaints about this movie. And there, I can agree with every point about what doesn't work about this movie. But there's just something about it that really gets me. And um, not in like an emotional way. I just like it. And I think it very, it rests very solidly in like the B movie category for me. Interesting. I will say we did, I did mention (laughs) when we pitched the bingo that if you picked a movie and we didn't like it, I'm sorry, but we didn't. But uh, Danny, I will write you a handwritten apology for hating this movie. I'm so sorry. I was really excited to finally watch it. I'm happy I did. I feel like it's informed a lot of the way that I think about Russell Mulcahy's work and Mm -hmm. you know the genre on the whole I just um yeah pass (laughs) all righty I think that about wraps it up guys this was the very last ever bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Rewolf which is absolutely insane you guys can stay tuned for our full series wrap-up episode that will be dropping next week which is also insane it will be the last episode of the Rewolf until I think probably the trailer for the movie drops Mm mm-hmm um, we'll have some things to say. I'm sure we will. About the trailer. God, I hope it's good. It's okay if it's bad. We've we've watched so much bad Teen Wolf that it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to keep up keep, like stay updated with us and like the Rewolf, you know, Teen Wolf news, follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. I encourage you to still join the Facebook group because that's going to stay active. People are still posting memes and asking questions and there's been really good discussion lately. Um, if you really, really liked this episode, you guys can leave us a review on iTunes. You can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf or buy our stickers on Redbubble. Um, I also recommend following our socials to keep updated on our future projects, which we'll start announcing soon. Other than that... I've been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!